Hello and welcome to Stump Death and Taxes. This is Meep, also known as Mary Pat Campbell. And today I'm geeking out. This one is for the actuaries and other quantitative professionals that got inspired by Dominic Lee, who has a website, maverickactuary.com. I've just been exploring. He just launched his website. I've been exploring it. He's been doing a podcast for several weeks now where he interviews various people, primarily in the actual profession, but also other people in technical fields uh, surrounding a variety of issues. Uh, you know, and and we could say, you know, Maverick and this, that and the other, but it's it's kind of like being effective in quantitative fields where we often have to, of course, intersect with non-quantitative people. And I highly, highly recommend his podcast. Uh, yeah, uh, obviously it is geared towards actuaries, but there's a lot of good advice for people in quantitative fields in general. And it doesn't really get all that technical. Um, maybe you're not quantitative yourself, but there's a lot of good advice about progressing in a career and different kinds of skills that you may need. And it's not necessarily technical skills, but how do you progress and how do you gain additional skills once you leave the structured, you know, the structured area of a schooling situation? And I've been through some of his podcasts. I haven't haven't listened to them all, Dominic, uh, but I've I've listened to some from Society of Actuaries, uh, Casualty Actuarial Society, and someone from the UK, the IFOA. And um, it's interesting listening to the different perspectives. They all have different backgrounds or in different areas of their career. Some much older than me. Some much younger than me. I think. Uh, but one of the issues, and I'm, you know, I'm listening to this because I'm thinking about, I'm going to be speaking with Dominic in a few weeks, and I'm trying to think about what we're going to talk about. So that's one of the, the aspects. But also I have long-term issues that I'm dealing with in terms of what I'm trying to accomplish, not just on the podcast, but on the blog in general, and just, you know, in my career in general. And one of my biggest challenges is trying to communicate technical topics to a non-technical audience. Now, when I say a non-technical audience, this does not mean a non-quantitative savvy audience. Uh, these will be people usually who are comfortable with quantities, with numbers. However, they're not actuaries and they're not going to be people who are going to necessarily want to listen to every little actuarial <laughs> terminology. If I say the word credibility, they're not necessarily going to be thinking of the actuarial definition of credibility. And this is one of the issues that technical people have a problem with in general. So we're very good at being very precise in our definitions. This is mathematicians, physicists, engineers, actuaries, accountants even. 
where we will be very precise. Uh, heck, lawyers are like this too, very precise with a definition in how we're going to use this very specific technical term. We're very good at that. What we're not good at is coming up with a unique term that's not a standard English term already that already has a bunch of baggage and connotations, denotations already attached to it. So I'm going to give you an example that I've been trying to come up with other ways to describe certain things because this has gotten me into trouble before. And here is the example. It's positive feedback loop and negative feedback loop. My background originally is physics engineering background. Um, I have undergraduate degrees in physics and math, and I was really into differential equation type models as a result of being coming up through physics and applied mathematics, essentially. Now, yeah, I did a lot of probability and statistics, too. I liked um, stochastic differential equations. But what we had were a lot of models that had feedback loops in them. And if you have feedback loops, so you had an interaction term where something comes back to interact, you can have a positive feedback loop or a negative feedback loop. If you're not a technical person, you hear positive feedback loop and you think positive feedback oh that must be a good thing and negative feedback must be a bad thing which it's not from a control system point of view positive feedback loop is like where you have two speakers facing each other and it goes back and it amplifies and amplifies and you get that horrid screeching and things go catastrophically out of control Positive feedback loops generally are not what you want. Now, there are situations where that's actually what you want and you wanted to amplify using those positive feedback loops. However, most of the time you didn't want that. Negative feedback loops are you have something come back and it dampens. And the reason it's positive and negative is because of the interaction sign. Is it a plus or a minus. So when that interaction comes in, is it a plus sign in front of the interaction or a negative sign? If it's a negative sign, then it's pushing down, it's dampening what it's doing. So what I have taken to doing, instead of saying positive feedback loop and negative feedback loop, and what I've seen before, and you're saying, well, what does this have to do with actuarial work? Well, what it has to do, I'm about to tell you, it has to do with certain regulatory responses where, unfortunately, I had said that certain kinds of regulatory or just um, governmental or central bank interventions or just public finance interventions were like a positive feedback loop or negative feedback loop. And then I realized what I had done was just bad if I'm talking to someone not used to those terms. So I really should say an amplifying effect or a dampening effect. Um, so for example, let's say you're trying to dampen inflation. You're a central bank, so maybe you increase you increase interest rates, you try to reduce money supply. That's dampening. It's a negative feedback loop, but we don't want to use that terminology. So we're going to 
have a dampening effect. And the terminology often used in regulatory circles is cyclical and anti-cyclical. And that just confuses the heck out of people if you are not familiar with those terms. So again, dampening effect. Um, however, what if you're a, I don't know, federal government and your response to inflation is to throw more money at voters? That's likely to have an amplifying effect on money inflation. So that's your amplifying effects and dampening effects as opposed to positive feedback loops where it amplifies and makes things worse. Uh, <laughs> so not going to use that terminology anymore. Here's another example from public finance. It's in public pensions. So um, I've seen this effect happen a lot of times where you have a public pension fund is invested in risky assets and then the risky assets do what risky assets do, and that is they drop in market value, and therefore the funded ratio drops. Therefore, what do the asset managers do, or what do the trustees do? Do they look at their situation and think, hmm, well, maybe we need to increase our contributions? No, of course not. Why would we do that? We're going to double down on risk. We're going to increase our leverage and increase the riskiness of our assets. We're going to have an amplifying effect. You're going to be seeing a lot more stories like this. I just read one like this. Thank you. Um, yeah. Thank you. The person who tweeted at me that story. So that was an amplifying effect. We're going to double down at the casino and we're going to have even riskier profile of our assets in our fund. Um, so that's an amplifying effect. A similar situation is not providing context. So here's the death part. So that was kind of our taxes, our public finance part of Stump. Here is the death part. Uh, life expectancy. I've talked about this several times and, you know, blogged about this several times before. This confuses the heck out of people all the time. They think they understand what life expectancy means. It's often reported on in the media. Almost always the life expectancy reported on in the media is completely useless to anybody. It is completely technical uh, the information is not useful to the public at all. And yeah, I'm exaggerating to a certain extent, but it really isn't. It's a contextless number to these people. Uh, it has nothing to do with the average age at death of anybody. Uh, it's called life expectancy and you don't see anything else. They'll, they'll say life expectancy for 2021 was whatever number it was. But if you actually look at the distribution of ages when people died, the peak, which would be the mode or modal age of death, would be something in the 80s. If you looked at the average age of death, so you took all the ages of the population of when people died in 2021, that would be a different number. And then you could also do the median age at death, which 50-50, and that would be yet another number. Um, and all of those numbers would be, you know, in something actually a lot higher than that period life expectancy, by the way. And I, you notice I just said period life expectancy. So that calendar year life expectancy or period life expectancy is calculated by coming up with a mortality table based on mortality rates that they 
you know, estimate based on if you were born in the year 2021, so baby in 2021, and then the infant mortality from 2021. Then say, I'll just use me as an example, you were born in 1974. So then we look at the people who were, um, uh, sorry, 47 years old in, in 2021, and what were their mortality rate? in 2021. Then we look at the people who were born in, say, 1950. So they were 71 in 2021. And what was their mortality rate for that year? And we do it like that. So for all of these different age groups in 2021, we figure out what their mortality rate was. We figure out that one year mortality rate. Then we figure out this completely artificial life expectancy based on that mortality table for 2021. There is no person who saw that mortality rate statistics throughout their life. When we care about something like life insurance, or when we care about something like planning for retirement, what we care about is cohort life expectancy. That is what is life expectancy for the people who were born the year I was born? That's cohort life expectancy. That is never reported in the media. Okay, maybe it is, but it's very rare. And it would be based off of some you know research report that came out. But that's never what the CDC tells you. Uh, even when they give you like Social Security says life expectancy from age 65 is blah, almost always that's still a period life expectancy and not a cohort life expectancy. So, and they never tell you cohort or period in front of it anyway. If they say for people who were born in the year 1940, for example, that's a cohort life expectancy. If they say for the year 2021, that's a period life expectancy. This is very technical, as you can tell. Uh, but this is very frustrating because there are years of difference between those two numbers. And then when you're trying to plan for your retirement, obviously you have to plan for the year that you actually retire. Because if you die before that age 65, let's just pretend you're going to retire at age 65, and if you die before that age, well, then you don't have to plan for that retirement now, do you? Uh, so you, you care about life expectancy from that age 65. That's first of all. Then is it really life expectancy that you care about? Or is it the possibility? What's the probability? Because that's just the expectancy. What's the probability that, say, you're going to live past age 90? What's the probability you're going to live past age 100? It's not zero. So you need to think about that whole distribution. I'm not going to spend too much more time on that issue, but we have all of this terminology. And this is the frustration as a technical person. As technical people, we want to be precise. We want it, to, you know, that 10th decimal point, but that is not helpful to the non-technical audience. What do they actually need to know? They don't need to know the period life expectancy. They never need to know the period life expectancy. They do need to know that, yeah, the mortality did increase in 2021, even compared to 2020. It did. Now, how do you measure that? I think measuring it using life expectancy is a bad measure. Using period life expectancy just confuses the hell out of everybody. I prefer age-adjusted death rates. 
they should have used that instead. And then they say, well, no one understands that. Well, no one understands period life expectancy either. They just think they do. So quit doing that. Now, yeah, that's that's me being annoyed in any case. But getting back to the whole communication problem, one of kind of my role models, I have lots of role models with regards to communicating technical topics. And the big one has to be Richard Feynman. I'm not sure he put it this way, but he really came up with the the LE5, the explain it like I'm five concept. Because he he put it out there, if you cannot explain it in simple terms, then you don't really understand the concept. Now, when you explain it to somebody like they're five, you're not getting into all the little details. You're not going to get into that 10th decimal precision, but it's more of what do they really need to know? Well, what they really need to know, for example, and I'm not going to give any decimals, was that 2021 mortality was a little bit worse than 2020. Both 2020 and 2021 were a lot worse than 2019. This is for the United States. Most of the extra mortality or extra deaths, if you want to call it that, were among the oldest people. However, from a relative point of view, um, so from percentage increase, we saw the highest percentage increase in 2021 around age 40. Okay. And this is what I found in my own, you know, figuring out the numbers. Now, this is not a lot of extra people dying. It's only tens of thousands of people dying around age 40 versus the hundreds of thousands among the seniors. But that's because we aren't expecting a lot of people to die around age 40 to begin with. Okay, that's the simple stuff without a lot of numbers. And I'm trying to get that information out there. Now, when you have just a few tens of thousands of people at relatively young ages, you know, dying, that does have an outsized effect on that period life expectancy. But just looking at the number of the period life expectancy changing by one year or however much it is, is contextless. You don't know where that movement came from. I have to tell you. I have to do a lot of very technical analysis to say, well, you know, most of that one year, where did that come from? You know, where where did that one year of life expectancy come from, from the various ages? And you can do that. You can do an attribution. They had a ridiculous attribution of by cause of death where like, oh, well, 50 years of life expectancy was taken off due to COVID. And you're like, but but the life expectancy only moved by like one year. And then they say, well... You got added back because there were no flu deaths. And you're like, okay, this is stupid. And it is. Okay, when we get into these technical analyses, then you really have to be someone who understands what like an analysis of change means. Okay, so when you do an explain it like I'm five, that means you have to heavily prioritize your details of what they really need to know. So what most people really need to know is most 
extra deaths, as it were, came from COVID. And most of that was among really old people. From a percentage standpoint, that wasn't a huge increase for like people over age 85, because a lot of them are dying at very high rates to begin with. Most people don't like thinking about death and death rates. This is why you are not aware at the very high rate of death that people over age 85 die at. Okay, so yes, I, these are the kinds of things I talk about and think about. Most actuaries need to be aware, and a lot of actuaries who are not in my field are not aware of a lot of these numbers. And that's same for me with regards to fields I'm not in. I'm not in workers' compensation insurance, for example. There are certain aspects of workers' comp I'm familiar with, but I have to ask other actuaries with regards to rates and industries and states. It does differ by state, obviously. Um, these are done on a state-level basis. That is something I know. But, you know, when I do explain it like I'm five, I can do explain it like I'm five, explain it like I'm 20. <laughs> it, it, you explain it differently for different audiences. So there is the general public, like I'm explaining it for the New York Times versus I'm explaining it for the Financial Times versus I'm explaining it to fellow actuaries not in my field. Okay, uh, there's, I'm explaining it to other people in the insurance industry, then I'm explaining it to actuaries not in my field, and then explaining it to actuaries in my field. These are different levels of technicality. The easiest and most comfortable, of course, are we all share the same language. I can use the most technical terminology I want, and we can all geek out together. However, I'm trying to push it lower and lower and lower down, and you try to fit it in a tweet, um, that is very challenging because you have to get to the heart of the matter. You have to get at what really counts, and this is also in words and in graphics, that how do you convey the message the most effective way Sometimes it involves changing the terminology and getting away from that technical terminology, realizing that it makes it more confusing. Sometimes you need to get away from your favored technical metrics because that also confuses outside audiences. And it's not just a matter of life expectancy, for example, and, and death rates and that kind of thing. Um, I do a lot of financial ratios. I mean, for my day job, I have to look at uh, financials all the time and I have to determine what is the most meaningful, especially through the pandemic, um, that I'm looking at death benefits paid and some of it is, uh, you know, claims reserves and stuff like that. And I have to think through what is the most meaningful metric to show to people about trend so that they can see, um, you know, maybe it's quarter over quarter, year over year, compared against 2019, or maybe an average, that kind of thing. Um, but you always have to think about the level of the audience. You have to think about balancing precision and clarity. Always keeping in mind, I'm trying to convey the truth 
and I'm trying to make sure that it things are understood. Sometimes you have to use more words. Sometimes you have to use more sentences. And yeah, sometimes you're going to have to drop the numbers. And that's something to think about, that the numbers themselves are not necessarily the important part of the message. Sometimes the important part of the message is just doing the comparison and telling them what is the meaningful part of the message. And I'm telling you right now, period life expectancy ain't it. Quit doing that, guys. I don't care. You, you've always used that freaking metric. Quit doing it. It confuses everybody. Bah. <laughs> okay, that's been Stump Death and Taxes. I'll have something for the non-geeks next time. I can't geek out all the time. See y'all.